0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm the good-looking host, Serge Boudreau, joined by Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly?
1: And modest, too. <laughs> oh, to be young. Uh, I do agree.
0: Young and handsome, Serge. I'm not that young anymore. I'm feeling a lot older in the last couple of days. Like I'm, that, I'm starting to see a bald spot, which is really concerning me. Oh. Like really concerning me. But before oh, I no. do, I'll tell you that story. I want to welcome Kim Wilkinson? How's it going, Kim? It's going great. I'm excited to hear about your bald spot. <laughs> so let Please me start. tell you about this. I go for a haircut. Okay. And I know I have a receding hairline. I, I know it's happening. So I'm actually adjusting my hair that it's going to, I'm basically doing a comb over. That's the plan just for you to know. But then. He, <laughs> oh, you are not. He's so full of shit. <laughs> but then he shows me the mirror on the back of the head. And I'm, oh, like, yeah, okay. I'm like, holy fuck, what is that? Because it's always been it's there, but it's been pretty small and it's expanded. So now I am definitely looking at all the products that you can get to cover a bald spot. I'm actually asking my mother-in-law for her special powder that she has that she puts in her hair. I'm kidding. Kim, how's it going? (laughs) What's new in your world? Nothing too much, right?
2: No, just busy doing my things, getting ready for vacation.
0: That's all that I have going on. Shelly, is your life exciting? My
1: life has gotten so much better. Oh, I added someone to my team that I tell you, Kim, I get it. I know all three of us are running the ship and doing five things at once. And so knowing when to put your hand up and say, Fuck, I need some help. And within the first 24 hours, maybe 48 hours tops, I could feel my stress level go from fucking, I'm gonna have an aneurysm to, okay, I can handle this. Like just getting someone who can absolutely just jump right in. What do you need? Let's go. Okay, I'll do it. I got it. Okay, now what? It's just been amazing. It's been amazing.
0: So I it did so... reduce your stress, right?
1: Oh, my God. I was sleeping I'm... at night. I was what? sleeping at night. I Holy shit.
0: You know what I just realized, though? What? What? I just realized that I'm really stressing. it's the reason for my bald spot. So I think I need to hire someone right away. Doesn't <laughs> stress yes. cause hair loss? Is that the case?
1: It absolutely does. Do you know that stress, and, and I'm being serious here, that a high level of stress will actually cause what's called like temporary alopecia, where you will have a bald spot in the back of your head.
0: Well, Do we I think don't think it's unfair this is that we're painting
1: a picture that this is temporary, to search? <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly,
1: Plenty,
2: planting unfair hope here.
0: Yeah, I know it's not temporary because my brother's three years older than I am, but he's had a massive bald spot for like. Ten years, so I know it's not temporary. I just know it's coming. I just need to figure out a way how to well, get. Do you have a
2: cutoff? Do you have a time? Have you had that internal dialogue of this is the time I got to get the back out? We're just shaving it off.
0: Oh do no, you- that's never going to happen. If Could you wear a rug. No, I would never wear a rug, but I would do hair oh. transplant. I would definitely do. A oh, hair transplant.
1: I don't know. You you want to rethink that?
0: To have a bald head, you either have to be really buff. Or really good looking to be able to pull it off. And unfortunately, I have none of that. I have to have hair. I have no choice or it's all downhill. But anyways, I'm glad you found someone. (laughs) Thank you. uh, That makes your life easier. it's,
1: It's Melissa. And Melissa is a gift from God. Oh, my God. There's just nothing she can't handle, nothing she can't do. And she's got it back to me. And I'm like, are you kidding me?
0: Well, I've known I show that,
1: her once I show her once and she Oh, I get it. Uh-huh. I I've get noticed
0: it. that you've been nicer wow. to me. So that must be the reason why. My stress
1: levels down. Thank you for tolerating me, Serge.
0: Oh, no problem. No problem. <laughs> so we have a lot to cover on the recruitment side this week. So yes. I want to jump into our topics. And I'm gonna let the the guests really introduce yes, our co host. Are so our guest co-hosts. Yes, yes. exactly. Kim, mm-hmm. what is your topic?
2: I thought we'd talk about December hiring. I am talking to candidates a lot right now and always sharing that we'll start to see things slow down in December, which I think we typically do in terms of hiring. But I think it's a good question as to why we see that. And is that maybe a good time for people to be focusing on their hiring with a candidate driven market like this? kind of coming in when your competitors are maybe slowing down. Is that a competitive edge for you? And maybe some things that that people should be mindful of and making December hiring successful, because it's not just post in December. I think you need to be very strategic about how you do it.
0: Why do you think hiring slows down in December? I
2: think hiring becomes lazy. And I think there's different awareness that needs to happen in December. It's end of the year. It's Christmas holidays. There's a lot of other distractions going on. And I think that people get pulled into that and aren't focusing on their hiring. I don't think the need is not there, but I think Mm -hmm. the dedication to it starts to wane.
0: So if you were running, say, a corporate talent acquisition department, how would you handle December hiring?
2: I would make sure that ads are being attended to, that I have someone who's actively engaged on those postings. I think that we need to have a different mentality around flexibility. Candidates are going to be traveling, maybe around family, and having that flexibility to maybe interview even in unique times when people can fit it in, being aware that I might need to catch someone at the airport while they're waiting to board their flight if they've got a spare hour to chat and that's okay. So just setting different parameters and boundaries to work with candidates at this time will make you more successful. Something else to be really cognizant of too is year-end bonuses, which I think a lot of people don't think of. And it's something I encounter a lot. Candidates are not looking to move right now because they've got a pending bonus. So going into that hiring, going either I'm prepared to to work with a delayed start to accommodate that, or I'm going to be offering some sort of an incentive bonus on start to counter that as well. That's a few things I would do.
0: Shelley, what's your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've always found December to be probably the busiest month in recruiting every year we go into it with this same sort of thinking, Oh, we're going to have starts in January, but in the corporate world, here was my experience for, for 10 years straight. And I could fucking set my watch by it because they do budgets in September and October, budget usually gets approved in November. So if you had a role that you needed to fill, say September, they didn't fill it because they said, I'm going to put it in next year's budget. That doesn't mean that the work went away. They just didn't hire for it in September and October, almost like they pumped the brakes a bit. And then by the time we get through budget season and managers are busy and it's, oh my God, we are being crushed. Let's also layer on that. It's usually performance review time right around the same time that budgets get approved. So let's roll into December. And usually somewhere in December, you find out what your bonus is or isn't. So from the candidate's perspective, they're like, okay, I fucking had enough. You know what? I just went through this insane period where we should have hired in September. It's now December. And I just got one third of what my manager was leading me to believe all year. They're going to start looking. They start looking in December for a start in January because the bonus is not what they thought it was going to be. So I see the flip side, Kim, in in corporate recruiting in that the best time to have your fishing rod in the water is in December. That's when people are discontented. They also know I've had enough of this bullshit. Hiring managers on the flip side are saying, let's get moving now for a start first week of January, because they can't actually start using their budget until Jan one. So we do a shit ton of work leading up to Christmas. And I've worked more, you know, that stretch between Christmas and New Year's. That's usually when we are flat out, full out making sure the offers are signed, start dates are ready, and then getting ready for onboarding. I think December is an insanely busy month and always has been.
0: Well, the numbers don't bear that. If you look at how many job postings are actually on the main sites like Indeed, they go dramatically down. In general, people do stop recruiting in December. And you got to put in perspective that around December 15th, a lot of people start checking out. The hiring managers, it's really hard to book the interviews. But... The flip side, they all want people starting their first week of right. January. I'm like, Recruiters are
1: blowing their brains out and hiring managers of left for Vacation.
0: The perfect example of that is actually yeah. last year, I blew my brains out during Christmas to recruit for roles that we needed for the first week of January. And my whole team was on vacation. I basically covered for everyone, did all this work, talked to a bunch of people between Christmas and New Year's. And then come start of the year, the hiring managers are like, where are my people? Like, when are they started? I'm like, you haven't fucking interviewed them yet. They're all ready for you to interview. You were gone for the last three weeks of December. But I I do wanna go to one particular point. We all know, say, sponsoring jobs or advertising is really expensive right now. The cost per click on Indeed is dramatically higher than it's been even a year ago. The thing is when I worked in Indeed and what I pushed to all my clients, I'm like, do you want a maximum bang for your buck? December is the time because there's less people advertising, creating less competition driving your cost per click way down. Shelley, one of the things that you said, and I think is completely accurate, is December is a month of reflection, because we look at going into next year is, who do I want to be in, in the coming year? So you start thinking, is that a new job? Is that something different? So job seekers are actually looking for jobs in December. They might be looking in December and hoping in January that they start the process. But if you hit them at the right time, you might have access to candidates that you've never had access to. And they're really considering jumping ships or doing something completely different. The other thing is we talked about Indeed and we talked about different advertising spending. There's a lot of leftover budget. So you want to spend it so you don't lose it for the next year. So why not advertise in December? It's cheaper. You'll get better bang for your buck and you're not losing the budget. Then Kim, to your point, I think we have to be really flexible because people will be traveling. There's many elements that we have to consider when it comes to the candidate itself. In the world before everyone worked remotely or a lot of people worked remotely, December was a perfect month. To interview people because they had a really handy excuse to leave the office. They'd be like, I need to go do errand for Christmas. So I'll be gone for a couple of hours. They can leverage that excuse to do interviews. That's true. It's a little bit different now. The
1: lies are easier.
0: The lies are easier. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I is think the biggest to-
0: thing about December is it's a really good time to recruit if you can line up your team. And as talent acquisition professionals, I think we can educate our hiring managers to tell them, actually, no, December is really good because a lot of hiring managers don't think December is a really good month to recruit. I think employee. it's a good
2: time for the candidate for sure. But you have to have, you're right. Your hiring manager has to be engaged or you'll lose them. So it'll be off or not anyways.
0: How about we move on to the next topic? I found a really interesting article that talks about the great resonation. So we've talked so much about the great resonation. Um, as we know, there's been a ton of people that have quit their jobs since April. And I think in the U.S., the numbers that I saw was around 30 million people have left their job since April. And on average, it's around 5 million people are quitting their jobs every month. So we know people are looking at different things to do with their lives. They're looking at other opportunities they see as a perfect time to really change everything they're doing. This article talks about these people that have gone to other places and now... They are forecasting a great boomerang of these employees coming back to their original employers when they realize that maybe the job was not the thing I wanted to change. Maybe it, it was really good at the company I worked at. First of all, I want to get your insight. Kim, do you think that's going to happen? Do you think we're going to have people quit their job in the last five, six months, but eventually end up back at the company they quit?
2: as things stand right now, status quo, no, I don't. And the reason I don't is because I don't think we do a good job at exiting employees professionally from our organization to create an environment that would make someone feel like they could come back to work. If employers did a better job at leaving that window or door slightly open, and I think there's a ton of reasons why that isn't that way, then we would see a lot more of that. And I think that's a great thing for employers to keep in mind is to bring back talent, whether it's immediately because of a wrong decision or years down the line, those employees can be great assets to your organization. But I think currently our mindset and the way we manage it does not support it happening.
1: So Kim, talk more about that because I immediately thought back in my own experience, right? Like how we exit people. Talk a little bit more about why you think we don't exit people well. I think first it goes to the foundation of how we
2: define a successful tenure at your establishment. I think we still, although we want to be progressive about people developing as employees, we don't really mean that. We are like, no, you're going to work for me until you're dead at your desk. And if you do (laughs) anything else, you're dead to me. There's still that mentality, I think, out there where it's like reality people are moving jobs every two to five years if you keep someone for two years that's a great tenure and wish them well so I think that the mentality needs to shift at the forefront and then I think really doing good exit interviews and maybe more than one like I'm going to do an exit interview with my supervisor, who's a total asshole, as if I'm going to say really what my problem was or where maybe I was missing some development opportunities. I think companies that set the stage for real feedback and really understanding why employees are leaving will have a better chance at, you know, maybe repairing some of those things and having those employees come back. And then keeping communication open. Just say it. Say, you know what? We're really sad to see you go. Wish them well. Like, have you ever left a company? First of all, I've been walked out. I had to ask if I could get my coat. I'm like, it's November. Can I at least get my jacket before I go? So I think there's that feeling of you're not here anymore. We're just cutting you off versus mm-hmm. we celebrate someone onboarding, welcome to the team. Here's a fun breakfast. Here's some great swag. But it's like you leave and you didn't
1: exist. Mm. Okay. That's what I was thinking. As well. Companies that have the farewell party. We're not celebrating your leaving. We're thanking you for being part and wishing you well versus, wow. and I worked for a company who once you handed in your resignation, pack up your shit and leave. <laughs> Just let the Here's door hit it. you on the way out. <laughs> let it. That's right. And, and we'll be <laughs> slamming it behind you. Like, I'm going to stand here while you clean out your desk and walk you to the door. Just get out. You're dead to us. I have worked in that culture. And the uh, opportunity for Boomerang is zero. Yeah. Right. But that was the culture. And then I think of another company when I left, I had the biggest farewell party and all the executives came. And as they hugged me and they're leaving, they whisper in my ear, don't you dare fucking steal my people. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted to make sure that that I knew, don't you come after my people. It was actually pretty funny, but I seriously thought about going back there. Would I ever go back there? You know, especially in those first six months after you've left and you realize all your credibility, everything that you knew, like I was the go-to, you want to know how to get shit done around this place. I'll figure it out. I get it done. So now I'm in a new company and I'm like, I don't know who to ask for what. And they are so slow to make any decisions. And I honestly paused and went, oh, shit, maybe I should go back.
0: Question for you, Shelly. Yes. When you left, if they would have said, hey, you're welcome to come back anytime. They did. They did. You still did. didn't take that.
1: The VP of HR took me for lunch uh, twice and said, You really should come back. I don't know
0: what you're doing with those people. They're fuck ups. You come back and work for us. So I think that opened the door. And if we're looking at any employee that's leaving, that's in good standing, that we really like and uh, has done a lot of good work, I think we should always tell those employees that, hey, if it doesn't work out, you can always come back you would be shocked of how many people would actually come back. Cause we all know we all deal with recruiters like Kim that sell us a great job. It's a fantastic place to work. And then we get there and it's shit like under us. It's a, it's a <laughs> role and I'm kidding, Kim. I know you He's don't.
2: Selling know. garbage opportunities all day, sir. <laughs>
0: exactly. And Isn't he then we get so back. Funky. And if we felt that we could go back I think a lot of us would but there is a lot of tactical elements for a recruiter in a market that is candidate starved. We are mm-hmm. looking for candidates and usually if they've done that role or in that role they're they're very qualified. There's many things of hiring boomerang employees that are extremely beneficial to a company. They already know mm-hmm. the job. Think about how much money you're saving as far as onboarding that person. In the first day, they're they're back at it and they're productive right from the start. But where a lot of companies screw up is there's a lot of ego involved. If you've become a manager, you're gonna have a little bit of an ego. You're gonna take it personally as someone leaving you and they're dead to you in that way. And that's mm-hmm. not the right approach because if you do tell them, look, i really enjoyed working with you. I would love you to come back it opens up the door for your recruitment team to be able to reach out to these people in particular times.
1: So can I just jump in there for a second, Serge? Because is the recruitment team privy to the exit interview? I think that's essential. Because if we knew why they left to begin with, right, the exit interview is not conducted by the hiring manager, like you said, Kim. But does talent acquisition have access to those exit interviews? Because if we do, we know that if a year goes by and I call you and go, listen, that manager, Fred, he left. Guess what? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to still talk? But if talent acquisition is not given access to that and understand why people are leaving, you're blindfolding your TA team. Yeah. Thoughts? I agree. I think that is
2: like really key so that they have some insight. And also, people make mistakes and people need to explore. We're all growing and developing in our career. And also, knowing the limitations of your business, going, this person's capped out right now. So, if they're going for a leadership opportunity, True. congratulate them. Amazing. And then, when you have a leadership opportunity available in your organization, you can now Get that great employee back who also now has a bit of leadership
1: under their belt that they didn't have before. So,
0: I I agree with all those points. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll have the last word, Shelly. Of
1: course. Can you just make it about alumni programs?
0: That's exactly you just read
1: my mind.
0: Wow. That was exactly (laughs) the point. This isn't scripted.
1: I'd made a note here to just bring up the fact that alumni uh, programs as part of a recruitment strategy is actually a thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. Most organizations never look at their past employees as a potential source of new talent. Basically, they're gone. We never look at them ever again. But you've (laughs) got a really strong pool of people that have done the job that are good at it, have explored somewhere else, and it's a perfect time to come back. I have not worked with a company that has been part of that strategy, except one that had an alumni program that the alumni were actually very engaged, They were part of a lot of the Slack channels that were culture and organizational focus. Even though they left, they still feel a part of the company. So you're putting in... They're still
1: friends with the people. They're not part of the company anymore, but I can still be friends. Yeah. There's a lot of people I loved working with and I miss them terribly. But wow, what an opportunity. Sorry, I'll let you have the last word.
0: Right now, every recruiter <laughs> should be getting the list of the people that have left in good standing, and you need to be reaching out to these people. In general, you should have it as a policy that after two months they leave, a recruiter is calling them in a very non-confrontational or, or very indirect way saying, hey, how's it going? Is the
1: job what you thought it was going to be?
0: Exactly. Exactly. That is what recruitment should (laughs) be Because we know the
1: answer 90% of the time.
0: (laughs) And then we should do it again every year, in my opinion. Why not? Until they tell you, I don't want you to call me. Yeah. Keep calling them because (laughs) this is a Really fantastic source of talent. Shelly, what's your next topic? If you're going to
1: start exploring the market as a candidate, we have more information available to us than we ever have. And so the the challenge, I think, for every candidate, unless, of course, you're being referred by somebody who used to work there, what are some of the red flags that candidates can look for that are about the culture? Because it's really hard. Everybody's got the same public noise, about our mission and vision. So I wanted to talk about what are some of the the red flags that are camouflaged. So you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, companies were saying, um, they were communicating regularly with their employees. And then all of a sudden the communication came to a screeching halt. And there is now a mandate that everyone will return to the office and the communication stopped. So if you're in a company where that happened, what I'm saying is that's a red flag. You should start looking. It was a very different feeling as we were going through and figuring this out. And now we're back to our true selves in that we're just going to tell you how it is. There's a big red flag and it's maybe time to look for another job. Thoughts? Anybody? (laughs) I do. That's a huge thing with candidates right now is
2: return to work and office. I think it ties in a lot of concerns from flexibility to vaccine mandates to personal comfort and safety and encroaches on a lot. So I'd have to agree that Mm -hmm. a company just coming in with a hard line. It's really a lack of progressive thinking companies that mandate in an office. It's just an outdated mindset now on the work day and how it has to happen and where it has to happen from. Mm-hmm. And everybody's different. They work with candidates who prefer to be in the office and like to, so have that option for those people, but
1: everyone yeah. knows their personal work styles. And I think coming right into the other flag is when they've asked you for input and then ignore everything you said. Yeah. So there's been surveys like, what do employees want? Companies who are not fully transparent about what were the results of this survey or this pulse survey, and they just do whatever they wanted anyways.
0: That's absolutely the worst thing you can do. So we talk about companies mandating people to come back into the office, even though the feedback that they receive is people don't want to come or they want a really flexible arrangement. And yeah. a lot of companies are thinking, well, let's do hybrid. First of all, employers, when they're saying hybrid is I can come in anytime that I want and not come in any time that I want compared to companies are seeing it. No, you're gonna come in Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're gonna come in the office and that's not hybrid. That's basically dictating that you're gonna be working in the office most of the time. And when we talk about red flags, if they're saying you cannot work from home Mondays or Fridays, massive red flag. It tells you that they don't <laughs> trust their employees will do the work. Like Mondays and Fridays are the days that I want to be home. And we all have different situations like Monday mm-hmm, morning, mm-hmm. just the commute. It's is mm-hmm. tougher to get the kids ready for school. And Fridays on my break, I can put my laundry in. So I'm ready for the weekend that I don't have to do the laundry. But I'm still executing as much, if not more work But you're telling me we don't trust our employees that they're going to work. So we want them to come Monday and Fridays. We don't want them to think that they're taking a long weekend off. The other thing, this is probably the biggest red flag for me. If they have any monitoring or surveillance software, Kim, what's your thoughts? If you went to work for a company and you're working remotely and they have some type of monitoring software on you, how would you feel about that?
2: But I'm, you know, that's my entrepreneurial mind. I work when the work moves me to do so. There are times when I'm very busy at eight o'clock at night or a Saturday or a Sunday because I work when I know I am going to be most productive. I did a post about that today, actually, about why we're so married to this nine to five. And I just don't understand our commitment to it. My neighbor has that. We'd see each other in the summer out front. And she'd be like, oh, I got to go in and move my mouse. And you're not fooling anyone. Employees will find a way. It's like Jurassic Park. You'll find a way, right, to make it look like you're working. So you're not fooling anyone or actually getting any more productivity. You're just causing your staff to be more creative for those people who are not productive. But I agree. It's sending a messaging of, I'm putting more pressure on the time you're putting in than the work you're putting out. So if there's no issues with performance or output, who cares how much time it takes or when it's happening
0: Shelly, I got a question for you. Some companies in their policies are saying no child or pet noise if you're working from home. Can you imagine? Home. Can you imagine? Can you imagine?
1: Oh my God! Can you really say that if I'm going to allow you to work from home? I just don't even know how to respond to that. I, I really don't. Like I've just never heard of such an absurd thing that you can't expect that that the doorbell's not going to ring. Really? If your kids are here, that there's no children noise in the background. Isn't it just it's
0: it's an old school command and control type of management style?
1: And I
2: I also think it's interesting because I think statistically speaking, people who have commitments, whether it's animals or family to take care of, actually tend to be harder working employees because they got more skin in the game. They got mortgages to pay for it versus An employee with none of those commitments, who maybe still lives in their parents' basement, travel in the world, they may not have as much skin in the game. So it's interesting to alienate those people that probably have more investment in being successful for just circumstances that you can't avoid. I think it's discriminatory. And it also maybe opens up to, are we even allowed to say that? Like, you're not allowed to ask someone, do you have kids? So how do you even bring up that topic without opening a whole can of worms?
1: Well, it's usually in the offer letter requesting permission to inspect your home workspace. And Mm -hmm. and I know why companies do it, because I remember talking about this in very early days of the first COVID lockdown is whose responsibility is it that you have a proper setup to be working from home. So now it's starting to shift where it's in the offer letter that if you are working from home, we need to inspect and ensure that you're set up properly, ergonomically, I think it's more occupational health and safety or lawyer driven that this is now coming out that we reserve the right to give you notice that we're going to inspect your home work office.
0: I've worked from home uh, a long time, 15 years, and I had a manager that would do that. I had a manager that would shut actually, up. Yeah, no, she that would come to your that. house come to your house and look at your workspace. You had to show it. She would do that to every- Get out. Are you fucking kidding me? We're we're talking about 11 years ago, but I'll tell you this. She got fired in six months of being promoted in that role. Then they promoted actually the right manager, which- That was you which was me was that for a long time after. And that's the first thing that I did not do. So let's just recap this. There's a yeah. couple things that we need to bring together. There's red flags when you're an existing employee. So all of these that we talked mm-hmm. about are directly related to employee. COVID hit. You're working from home. Now they're talking about bringing you back. And then suddenly all these policies are in place. We're going to do hybrid, but you can't work from home Monday to Friday, red flag. Performance monitoring software, red flag. The other element is I'm a candidate. And you asked a question earlier, how do I know this? Mm-hmm. Ask the questions. This is a candidate market that you should be asking questions that are gonna be really relevant to you. If you do not ever wanna go back in an office, you gotta be asking that question clearly, like you're saying, oh, the role is remote now, but that might change. What would affect that change? You should not have any blind spots there. You need to have it on record what they're going to do. Like, What's your policies around working from home? What's the expectation of having my camera on? What's Mm -hmm. the expectation of any noise from my kids that are upstairs with uh, the babysitter or with my husband or with my wife? These are all questions that we should not hesitate to ask. And if the answers are not right, run.
1: Yeah, You've got other options, right? Exactly, Serge. And I think what happens to a lot of people is they think, well, they said potentially or maybe, or they honestly believe that they will change, that the company will change its policy on hybrid work from home, because that's what I'm hoping will happen. The answers are clear. You want this in your offer letter, for sure, as part of your mm-hmm. terms of employment.
2: And I've had a ton of offer letters go through that are very specific, That this is a fully remote work from home position. I think that also covers off some of your liability. I'm not a lawyer, but in terms of your responsibility to provide a workspace, I'm sure there's some loopholes you get out of by making it a fully work from home. Nothing should be, you know, handshakes and high fives about this sort of thing. You want it in writing and something signed.
0: Mm-hmm. Hold well, agree.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Another fantastic episode of the yeah. Recruitment Flag. So, Kim, thank you. Great for discussion. Yeah,
1: great I to be we'll here, see guys. You
0: whenever you're available.
2: We'll do a vacation debrief with yes. me. Oh, and, yeah. And I'm going to be on the edge of my seat about Serge's bald spot. I'm going to need regular check-ins. <laughs> uh-huh. It's now top of mind.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you pictures while you're on vacation. So, Shelley, anything exciting going on?
1: Well, now that I have my life back and I'm feeling so much more uh, relaxed, I think you're next, Serge. We need to uh, add to your team. Yes. Get, get some of the workload off you just so you're not so cranky.
0: So I don't lose my hair. Right and
1: now. so you don't lose your hair. <laughs> i
0: think I'm cranky.
1: Yeah. Kim, yeah. thanks so much. We'll see you soon.